welcome to another episode of Two Guys, One Topic. I'm Ollie. And I'm Liam. And for those that don't know, or if we've got any new listeners, each episode we take a topic that we know next to nothing about, and we give ourselves a week to read and research all about it. The idea being that we do the hard work, and then we share what we feel are the most important pieces of information with you, our listeners. Exactly, Liam. That is what we do. And just so everybody knows, we are not experts in anything that we talk about on the pod. This is just a summary of our findings. Hopefully, by sharing some knowledge with you, we can all learn a little bit about a whole lot of things. Yeah, baby. So let's get on with this week's topic, which is tea. All right, Ollie, this week we're talking about, I don't know, maybe the most popular drink in the world. Is it more popular than water? What? Straight in there. Straight in there. It's the world's second most popular beverage behind water. That's what we're talking about this week. Tea. Oh, so yeah, just some, just something little then. Um, yeah, like tea's in a lot of places, isn't it? Massively. <laughs> Lots of people are going to know what this is. Definitely. Yeah, absolutely. And we always try and think about like, what do we know before we started to research it? I think for me is I'm not really a big tea drinker. I will drink tea, but it's not like a go-to drink for me. Um, so yeah, I obviously know what it is and what it tastes like. It's some idea that something to do with China maybe is in there in terms of you know part of its history and stuff. But when I thought about it, I didn't really know too much about tea at all. How about yourself? Are you a tea drinker? Nope. Um, we must have learned. I don't drink tea or coffee. I have actually tried it and I could probably drink it much better than I could drink coffee. Yeah. No, I don't drink it at all. Um, interesting. What, what's a rich tea biscuit, by the way? I've just thought of that. I've got to remember to do that for the end of series wrap up. Does anyone know why it's called a rich tea biscuit? <laughs> but what does that mean? <laughs> no, I don't. I don't drink tea. Uh, I, I don't really ever trust myself to make it either because I don't drink it. I'm worried that when I try and make one, people will be like, you know, when they come around, a cup of tea. Yeah. And like, uh, do you want to make your own though? <laughs> I must have made yeah. close to a bajillion cups of tea in my life. I reckon I've made so many cups of tea for different people. Um, so yeah, I know, know all about it there. Did you, did you know any about the history of it or anything? No, I, I went to China once. And uh, I remember spending a long time haggling over like an old, like a, a tea set, like a teapot with a, with a t- some tiny little cups, you know, like, okay. a, like a really traditional looking yeah. thing came in a box. But I mean, no, I mean, I would, I know that it, again, it's got something to do with China, doesn't it? Maybe. <laughs> um, honest thought. Did we invent tea? It is such an English thing, isn't it? Yeah, like, what, what so. is there more of an English thing? If you ask someone to be stereotypical about English people, British people, I would, you know, go, oh, would you like a cup of tea? Like, it's quint- I reckon, quintessentially British, isn't it? That's that's yeah, what you, that's, yeah, that's yeah, the term it, for it. Yeah, I mean, you can, you know, if you ask to describe, I shan't, but pick another country and then describe them. You'd say something that links yourself to those countries. If you said British, yeah, might you say? cup of tea and those men outside Buckingham Palace with the tall black hats on. Quite, quite possibly. But when, when you think of tea, people have their own personal favourite way of drinking tea. And it turns out there are loads of varieties of it to choose from. 
Um, and there's lots of different cultures. So when we're saying about quintessentially a British thing, different cultures of different variations. I quite liked reading this this week that China very much, they, they sip it in cups, uh, porcelain cups in China. In Tibet, they mix it with salt and yak butter, which is a little bit different. In don't, Japan... Don't, don't got, they call it butter tea in Tibet? Is that what it's oh, called? Oh, do they? Do they? I think it's called butter tea. In uh, in Japan, they've they've got loads of traditions around tea ceremonies and how they whisk the tea and the way they then present it. Russia, they have it black and just add lemon into it. Um, and then you know, America, they tend to add a lot of sugar into their tea. But yeah, quintessentially British. I mean, we we drink thousands of millions of cups of it a year, don't we? It's mind boggling how many uh, how many cups of it are drank. So. I don't want to give away my takeaway today, but I've got a good takeaway to do with just how much tea is drunk. But in Britain, about 150 million cups of tea are drunk every day. But in the world, about 3 billion cups are thought to be drunk every day. 3 billion cups of tea a day. And just to um, put that into context, how can you context that number? It doesn't make any sense. (laughs) About 2 billion cups of coffee are drunk every day. So it's about 50% more on top of that than coffee. Wow. You, know, you think lots of people drink coffee, yeah. lots more people drink tea. And so we're, we're saying super popular all around the world, but this British thing, essentially, you know, that, that's what we think of it as being. But really, it turns out that Britain, we've only had tea for about 350 years. And the yep. fact that it goes way further back than then, and the, the story of tea begins in China. Yeah, with a Chinese emperor called Shen Nung in 2737 BC, which is about 5,000 years ago. He he is thought to have been the person who, I wouldn't say invented, but certainly discovered, I think maybe is probably the better word. He used to like drinking his water boiled, didn't he? Because he was a bit of a, uh, was it like a germaphobe or something? Yeah, I I don't know if they really knew about germs back then, but I think it maybe yeah from sanitation purposes just thought it'd be better to have boiled his water before then drinking it not really yeah, so he, why. he would drink his water boiled and then one day some leaves from a tree which is called the camellia sinensis is the posh name for this tree the camellia sinensis we'll come back to that in a bit some leaves from the tree were blown into his boiled water and his servant realized oh hold on a minute i've got his boiled water for you know, the emperor here, and it's now got a couple of leaves flowing in it. But would you believe, actually, it smells quite nice? And uh, I'm going to present it to him anyway and see what happens. And then he drank it, yeah. essentially. That, that is what is thought to be the story. Uh, they're not 100% sure how true that is, but that is widely regarded as the, as the, the discovery of a cup of tea. Yes. I, I think the, the thing, whether it was that specific story, we'll never actually know. Like He was a known herbalist. He was a known person to like to invent and you know, try new things. So it could very well be the case, which is why it's cited a lot of times. But what we do know is that tea has been drank certainly for many thousands of years. And even even turned out prior to this Shen Nung drinking the tea, people knew about the leaf. They knew about this Camellia sinensis plant, but they would chew it. So they would then chew the tea leaves instead. Um, yeah. which was just another way. But then he was the first one, apparently, to then put it into, into or have it in some boiling water. But we know that they've had it for a few thousand years because around you know tombs dating back to 
206 BC. So yeah, yeah, 2,500 years ago. Yeah, we they found you know, they found like chests of tea and, and evidence that the people have been buried with tea. Or the containers, so, yeah, the, the containers yeah. for tea and how they might have drank it in uh, in some sort of way. So yeah, we, we know it's been around for an awful long time. And I suppose going back to our thoughts, knowing China was in there somewhere. Yeah, that's yeah absolutely the case. Uh, yeah, so then how did it get here? <laughs> Pretty similarly to quite a lot of things, though, is how it got here, isn't it? Yeah, it did. Well, it grew. So it grew massively over in Asia for a long, long time before it managed to get over to Europe. So there's something called the Silk Road and there's parts of, of China where, you know, you've got sort of got China, India, Tibet and other places that are sort of linked by this passage of where trade would take place many, many, yeah. many years ago. And it was then monks who also, they were the ones who spread it. So they would take this tea. It was seen as a much more medicinal thing at the time. It was quite okay. bitter. It wasn't really drank as a as an everyday drink. It was more to help the monks meditate. And then they would then pass it around as they then traveled into the, the different regions around in Asia. Um, and it, it got over to Japan pretty quickly as well. So we know that they've had it over there for, for well over a thousand years. And it was just something that yeah people would then enjoy, but it wasn't really part of everyday life. Yeah. So it was around... So, you know, so, you know, this is like still like a long thousands of years ago, starting to get around Asia, essentially. Yeah. Not so much Europe, certainly not America. But then as we started trading with Asia, it slowly, and we, by we, I mean like the West, yes. Europe, if you like, as Europe started trading with Asia, uh, they essentially, you know, like they would trade and then they would bring back things, trinkets, rugs, fabrics, food, tea. It all sort of started coming back, didn't it? Slowly, slowly, slowly. Yeah. Yeah, they did. And so a company that we've heard of before, which might be interesting for us to do as a topic one day, is the yeah. East India Company. So yeah. it was it was very much, it was the Dutch um, and the East India Company who were responsible for bringing back tea on boats and ships so we've learned about this before as well and around trade and world trade they're responsible for bringing it back and it was in the early early 1600s wasn't it that they brought it into europe but again it wasn't that popular at the time because it was still quite a bitter a bitter yeah. drink to be having it was also very expensive yeah so that didn't help you know it, it, yeah you're saying 1606 was the first consignment the first time like a full ship came back with tea from China, they came to Holland, the Netherlands. I mean, 1606. So what's that? 400 years ago or so. Um, but again, it was it was quite expensive, and um, you know, remained basically just for the for the wealthy. Yeah, that was right. And one of the wealthy people who enjoyed it at the time was a Portuguese lady called Catherine of Braganza, and yeah. she then married Charles II of England. Yeah. Yeah. And she, she was then responsible for them getting it more fashionable and bringing it to England because of her love of it from when she was in Portugal. Yeah. Well, yeah, this is, and then that's essentially it. Yeah. So this is a, this is sort of the mid 1600s, isn't it? Yes. Um, is it 16, like sort of 1650 something? 
yeah, and then at that point, it sort of starts getting a foothold in in Euro, um, in England, in, in the UK in particular. That's right. And then what happened was with the tea is that it was that the trade was massive coming from China. China's the only place in the world that grows the the tea plant that yep. Camellia sinensis that we were talking about. They're the only ones at this point who are growing it anywhere. And we were buying it off them like hand over fist. It was getting more and more popular tea, um, but there was nothing that China wanted to trade with us. So we were paying for it with silver. But we then yeah. started in England to realize that we were not running out of silver, but we were spending far too much silver on this tea than what we should be doing. And so it had to come up with a plan to try and make more money because China weren't willing to trade something. And so what what the British did, because they started to build out the colony, is they started to grow opium in India and then ship it over or ship it, send it over to to China for the Chinese to then buy and get addicted to. So from a heroin perspective, make loads of money back, um, drug dealing essentially, and then use that (laughs) money to then buy the tea from China. And China didn't like this. China realized what was happening, that we were then selling all of these drugs to um, to their, to the Chinese. And then there was something which happened for a couple of years called the Opium Wars. It was 1838 to 1842, where they were essentially the British and the Chinese were warring um, about arguing about over tea and about opium. And then in the end, the war ended and the Brits did well. And that's how we ended up having Hong Kong as part of the um, the British Connolly. <laughs> all over tea. Yeah, all over tea. And you told me a story about how it ended up not being only in China, because for a long time, this Camellia sinensis was only thought or was mainly grown in China. But it ended up not in China, didn't it? It ended up, was it India? Yeah, that was it. It was pretty nuts reading this story that we couldn't figure out how it was grown. So we wanted to grow it ourselves, but it could only grow in China. We thought there must be loads of different plants to to grow this um, tea. And then it turned out that we figured out we sent somebody a little bit undercover. So a guy called Robert Fortune, who's a Scottish botanist. So somebody who's into plants and herbs and understanding how they work and everything. So we sent him over in 1848. He went undercover. And essentially what he did as he stole a load of tea plants, he stole the knowledge about how to grow it and manufacture it and how to turn it into tea. He managed to learn how to build the machinery needed. And then he even convinced six of apparently the best tea makers, um, like the best tea farmers, to then leave China, go and set up in India, because Britain had a big stronghold in India, in the Assam region. Um, and convince them to start growing tea there. And then from there, that's where it then managed to get grown elsewhere. And then Britain then thought, well, let's see where else we can then grow this in the world and try and spread it elsewhere. But yeah, for a very long time, it was only China who had it and it, the Brits had to steal it, essentially. And in um, in spreading it, that's where the price came down. Because what happened eventually was where it could grow in more and more places, more and more places can trade it. So the price, because we were saying for a long time, it, it was um, 
you know, only the rich could drink it. But by the time it starts growing in other places, for example, like right now, it grows in, in it, go, it grows in about, th- I think we'll talk about it in a bit, but like India, China, Sri Lanka, Kenya, there's a whole bunch of places where it grows. And, and what that essentially did was bring the price down and then the masses can get on board. Yeah. So and so the, the masses then got on board, more and more people wanting it. So they figured out a way to then um, process it and it refine it a little bit. So it wasn't as bitter and people were adding milk to it and figuring out this is a nice drink. And people were then realizing, realizing it could be like there. It's a bit of a stimulant, isn't it? Like you sort of have yeah. it and sort of like picks you up a little bit. And so people are having it more and more. And because of this, the the need for it went through the roof. And then this is where, have you ever heard of, is it the, the clipper ships? Have you heard of them? Yeah, they would race, wouldn't they? They're basically racing ships, but like quite big ones. Like, yeah. you know, like we're talking about like people are cargoing stuff all over the world, but these became like racing ones. Yeah, massive. Like they they forced the the ship industry to come up with faster ships, essentially just so that they could then, the, the shipping companies could then bring back more tea quicker than what the other countries would be able to do it which is quite cool yeah. isn't it because essentially if you if you manage to ship your your tea quicker from china or india to the uk you could sell it first so if you've got a ship who can do it even quicker then uh, then that means that you'll be able to sell it quicker and did you read about the 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 tea the london tea auction just off the back of that yeah so, massively yeah that that's super so the, interesting so the london tea auction it started out as like an auction house whereby uh, all these shipping, all these companies, when they came back from afar, they would bring all of their wares and their goods back with them. Like we were saying, like fabrics and sweets and foods and tea. And then they would auction them because obviously they've got a whole ship full, but they'd have to sell them to the general public. So they would sell them in this in this big auction. But as tea became more popular, it essentially just became a tea auction. So all these ships, you're saying, all these ships are racing back from all different places around the world. They're bringing their tea back to London and they're selling them in these in this auction house to a point where every day of the week there would be a tea auction for like, this is Indian tea day. Okay. This is African tea day. This is Ken, whatever is Sri Lankan tea day. And up until about the fifties, 1950s, a third of all the tea in the world was sold at the London tea auction. Wow. That's mental. That's big. Cause obviously, it? you know, it's all good that they can get it all, but, but you know, the general public can't get their tea from Sri Lanka at this point. You know, Amazon doesn't exist. Uh, <laughs> yeah. This obviously eventually dies out because as as um you know logistically getting stuff becomes easier, they don't need they didn't need the auction, they could cut out the middleman. But yeah, to a point up until the fifties, this London tea auction was enormous. Yeah, was just, brilliant. I thought it was very interesting. Yeah, that's really good. One of the things that I I found quite interesting this week, learning about, and I know we like our etymology, is looking into a little bit about where the word tea comes from. I don't know if this is something that, that you saw at all. You know what? I didn't do my etymology this week. I feel what? like I let down. Etymology, I just, I just didn't look into yeah. etymology. But it didn't feel like it was an exciting thing. I didn't feel like the word tea had enough words to it to, to be anything. So feel free to tell us to prove me wrong. <laughs> okay. Let me see. Let me see if I can prove you wrong. Let's, let's see if you and um, everyone listening finds this interesting. So it... So it turns out, oddly enough, around the world, there's really only two words to say tea. And so it is tea or cha. And so in English, you'll say tea. In Spain, you'll say tea. 
Irish is te as well. Uh, French is le te, I think. My French is terrible. Nice. We know that from previous episodes. But then <laughs> other other variations of chai. So chai is Hindi, or you've got chai in Russian, or you've got chai in Turkish. And all of, all of these pronunciations, they come from the same Chinese symbol. But okay. it turned out, so Mandarin would pronounce this symbol as chai, but in Min Chinese, it would pronounce it as tay. Oh, okay. And so it would depend if you were getting your tea, if you're buying your tea from people who pronounced it as chai, or if you're buying your tea from people who pronounced it as tay. And so what happened is, People who were using the, the word tay or tea, they were all um, the ones where we were getting it via ship. So it's been shipped to Europe. Yeah. Whereas all the other countries that I was mentioning there in terms of Turkey, India, Russia, they were getting it on land. So they were getting theirs via the chai version of what the way that people would pronounce it. So it depends where your country originally got it from, if it was over the land or over the sea. Is how okay. you then pronounce it today. Nice. Well, it turns out that is more interesting than I apologize. To <laughs> You're upset. So we're talking um, about this, this tea plant. We've said its name a couple of times, this Camellia sinensis, which we're saying it like we know what it is, this Camellia sinensis. I'd never heard of it before, never knew it was called that until this week. But should we actually then talk a little bit about what this tea plant is? Yeah, and, what, and how it turns into actual tea. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, so it's a like a shrub, isn't it? It's like a small, it's not too high green. looks like any normal green bush, doesn't it? It's not, not, nothing spectacular. I'm not sure you'd know it was a tea plant if you walked past it. It doesn't look, you know, it doesn't look like anything crazily different. No. Um, I, think it's, I think as you were saying earlier, sort of like the regions that it, ingro- that it enjoys growing yeah. in, they're, they're warm, quite a humid climate with some rainfall. Um, it, ideally as well, it quite it likes some light, like acidic, well-drained soil. So it likes the rain, but it doesn't want to stay in soggy soil. It wants it to be draining yeah. away. And those, Similar- those are the conditions that, that you then get like high up in sea level, high sea altitudes as well, which is why regions of China or, or India have been very good at it. Yeah, so it grows in the, the major plantations are in about 30 countries in the world. So not everywhere. Um, the biggest four are China and India, as we've already said, and Sri Lanka and Kenya. The other three main ones, and it's important about these seven. So the main seven countries are China, India, Kenya, Sri Lanka, Vietnam, Indonesia and Turkey. And they account for 90 percent of all the tea grown in the world. So most of the tea comes from okay. those seven countries. Yeah. Um, you can obviously get it in other countries, but the, the vast majority of it will come from one of those seven places. And um, interestingly, the different varieties that we're saying, like over a thousand different variations and varieties of tea, it all comes back to this single shrub, this yeah, nuts. sinensis. And it's, yeah. it's all like, contributing factors to this are to do with the soil, the slight weather conditions, um, but it's more so around like, how how you then process it or what you then do to it once you then get it so there's probably four main types of tea that people will have heard about so you've heard of green tea white tea oolong and black teas they're the main yep. four and the 
that the difference in how you get those different types of teas is something to do with the oxidation process. Now, yeah, I had to look that up. What is what does that mean? It kept on saying when I was reading about the oxidation process, like I should know what it is. Well, just take a step back. So what so the, the so the leaves are grown, right? They're then picked. So that it's the same plant, this Camellia sinensis. So you've grown this plant somewhere in the world. You've got some leaves, okay? They are all almost always picked by hand because they've tried it with machines, but they tend to like rip the leaf or bruise the leaf and it doesn't work. So even nowadays, it's pretty much all hand-picked, aren't they? Yeah, they are, yeah. So they're all picked. They're almost immediately taken to a processing plant that is on site because it has to get done real quick. And then five things happen, right? The first thing they do, is they leave them out just for a little while to let them lose some of their moisture. They then roll them to squidge out some more of their moisture, essentially, so they've got rid of the moisture. Then they're left to oxidize. or It's called the oxidation stage, and this is the important stage. They basically let air get at them. Yeah. So they've been picked, and they let the air attack them. Once they've let the air attack them for as long as they can be bothered to wait for, they then dry the leaves off, and then they sort them. And that is it. That happens all the time. The difference between the different types of tea we get is how long they are left to oxidize. Now, oxidization is like uh, when you cut open a fruit and it goes brown. Yeah, that's that right. That is the fruit oxidizing. That is the oxygen changing it. You know, we said before about like a bruised banana. You cut a banana and it goes brown, but actually it goes really sweet. Yeah, that's right. Um, same with the leaves of the tea. Like the longer they leave them out, it will change how they taste. So... We've got our different types of tea and essentially it's down to how long you've oxidized them for. That's it. Yeah. And the, the way that you then stop this oxidization process is you, you effectively burn them or cook them. Yeah. And then, then that's what will stop it. So they then don't just carry on oxidizing and like indefinitely. So we've got, um, yeah, a couple that we're mentioning here. So maybe if we, if we start with black tea then, so it's almost all the tea that people will drink is black tea so 75 percent of all tea production is black tea so So we're thinking this is the you know the english breakfast tea which a lot of people will drink um who'll be listening to this this is black tea which makes sense i think yeah darjeeling darjeeling tea assam tea lapsang suchong tea that all like they are all (laughs) types of black tea similarly to how you get types of white wine or types of red wine, like they're all from the same white grape, but dependent on the country that they've been grown in or the atmosphere or the soil, like although you've got the same plant, this Camellia sinensis, like the soil might be slightly different in yeah, India that's right. Sri Lanka. Yeah. It might be slightly higher up and it's got a bit more water in it, so it's got a slightly different taste. It's the same plant though, exactly the same plant. Absolutely. So these, this black tea so this is the most heavily oxidized of all of yeah. the teas. So this is the one, the leaves have been plucked and then the plant, they're then left to, to wither fully. So yeah, as yeah. Liam was saying, that they're rolled and crushed either by machine or hand, and then they're left for the longest amount of times before they're then fired in the oven, and then that stops the oxidization process. Yep. The complete opposite to this is the green tea. So the green tea, this re- this receives the least oxidization. So they the leaves are plucked off the plant in the morning and almost you can brew them and drink them that very same night. So what they yeah. do, it receives so little oxidize, oxidization and then they then heat them almost immediately. 
which then stops yeah. that oxidization process from from happening. They dry the leaves, um, so it retains that green color as well of the plant, which is why it's called green tea. Yeah, and and then do you just want to tell us a little bit about oolong? So <laughs> oolong tea is basically in the middle. <laughs> so they've yeah. plucked the leaves, they've let some of the moisture out, then they've let the oxygen get at them for longer than they would for green tea, but not as long as they would for black tea. They then cook them, heat them up essentially, and then dry them out. Um, and they, that will taste that's somewhere in the middle of the two. And then white tea, they basically pick the leaves when they're like, they're not fully grown. They're, they're almost like at bud stage. That means that they're using a slightly different leaf. White tea is super specialist and way rarer than anything else. Yeah. Um, and it's very likely a lot more money to get that because they, they're basically getting the leaves really early. Yeah. And so you were saying that, yeah, that the, the buds they're they're still covered in thin white hairs as well which is why it's described as you know quite delicate as well and white why, why it's white tea and it doesn't have such a, a rigorous process that it then goes through yeah so yeah that's that's white tea but it is it's it's not as common as you were saying about just i i think it blows my mind <laughs> all tea comes from the same plant is that not <laughs> yes. is that not like that's amazing like it all comes from this. Every single tea plant is a Camellia sinensis. They pick a leaf and they just either they they do it straight away or they give let the air go at it for a little while and it just it just changes the tea that you get. Yeah, it's amazing. As, as well with the with the plant, isn't it that they've got two major picking seasons in a year and they they pick them and they they prune them quite regularly, don't they? Which then encourages yeah. them to grow more. Yeah. So there's two main harvests throughout a year. They call them the first flush. And the second flush, um, but they keep the plant in. They they constantly prune it so that it's always in the early stages of growth. Apparently, so it, you know how like when you prune a plant, it makes it encourages it to grow. Yeah, they're basically, yeah. they're constantly pruning it. They're constantly cutting it back so it's always trying to grow. So when they're ready to get it, it's it's good to go like twice a year, I guess. Yeah, and and we were saying about them having to do this via hand because yeah, machines will bruise it or it's just ripping the, the leaves, not quite doing it right. I was reading that there are over 13 million people globally who are directly employed in the tea production part of this, just because it's wow. it's such a labour intensive. They've come under a bit of trouble um, in terms of the conditions that, that people have to live and work in for when they're picking this tea. But that has been addressed, addressed more so over the last 20 years or so with like fair trade. Uh, yeah. And making sure that the farmers and everyone are getting properly compensated for the tea and the effort that they're putting into um, making it rather than just big business, making all the money. All right. So I don't really make cups of tea. So I did look into and I'm, I told you to as well how to make the perfect brew. You know, my brother drinks a lot of tea. If he comes around, and he goes, put, you know, put a brew on. I don't really know what I'm doing. Like I'll have a go at it. <laughs> chuck, some, chuck some water on the tea bag. Leave it for 30 seconds. Throw some milk in. Like. Is there a way to make it better than that? that yeah, that's, that's a set, you know, the ingredients, the ingredients are simple. Tea bag, water, possibly milk, possibly sugar. Unless you're in Tibet, then you need a little bit oh. of salt, a little bit of yak milk, yak butter. Take <laughs> a butter, yeah. <laughs> but but yeah, and, and people have got different um different variations of how much milk like from black right through to super milky tea that they drink. Yeah. People have their own penchant for how they like to have it, don't they? But yeah, there, yeah. there is, there is a way of, of making it. So today you'll have your tea bag. 
you put your tea bag in, um, you boil up your kettle. It's saying don't have the water that you're adding be above 85 degrees. So you shouldn't really put boiling water in. Yeah, it should and be then, full boiled. It should be it should be nearly boiled or nearly boiled. Let it, let it boil and then let it come back down again, then use it. And what adds to the the flavor of the tea apparently is water that's got a lot of oxygen in it. So it's saying that if you keep reboiling the same kettle, the oxygen goes out, so it won't taste as nice. And it's also on the on the tea association's website. It was saying also consider if you live in a hard water area, you might yeah, use a filter, filter. <laughs> <laughs> to improve the taste of the tea. Yeah, so that. yeah, so you're adding in water, nice water, filtered water, filling it and not boiling water then adding your milk and then you're drinking it and you want to make sure you drink it it says above 60 degrees that's where you get the optimum flavor and sensation of the tea and one of the biggest things is to let the tea bag steep which is the posh word for just leave it in the cup for like five minutes well it's a brew isn't it it's it's brewing yeah but who does that like i've never seen anybody (laughs) never ever i've seen somebody leave it there for that long but I did watch a couple of different videos of somebody like people trying proper tea. Like it's just a normal tea bag, but they've left it. And they're like, oh, it's amazing. So if you are making a cup of tea while you listen to this, just leave it for a few minutes and just see if it does make any difference. Yes. Yeah, that's a good point. There was talking about making the tea and then putting milk in. It was that the, the, the practice of putting milk in was originally to do with social class and not with taste. And there's a good little story that goes along with this, where what used to happen, this is according to Fortnum and Mason as well, who um, are a British shop that like, specialise in like tea and some other fine food type things. So what would happen is people would put milk in first into the cup, then they put their tea, then they'd put the water in. And yeah. the reason that they would do that is because of the quality of the porcelain cups that they were using. Yeah. And they would then crack. So instead, what would then happen is that people do it the other way around, wouldn't they? Yeah. So, yeah, you'd put the milk in because then when the water goes in, it cools the water down and then the cup doesn't crack. But then it, it basically became like a, a brag, didn't it? Like, yeah, what they would do is they would put the hot water in first to show that they had the fancy china. <laughs> my and they china is milk in second. <laughs> yeah. yeah. As if like a mic drop, like. Oh, I'm putting my milk in second because my my cup is so fancy. I've got proper china cups. Yeah. Like I don't need to put the milk in first. And it just, yeah, that's where it came from. That's cool, isn't it? <laughs> I think like nowadays it is super, oh, it don't matter rare, nowadays. super rare that anyone would ever do it the other way around. Milk is always in last. But yeah, yeah. What a, uh, like you say, a mic drop moment just to show off and show that yeah, my, oh, my yeah. china can can cope with this. Imagine the first time someone pours the hot water into their china and everyone around goes, oh. you know, like, oh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And he puts the milk in and goes, Yeah, check out my cut, you know, my uh my porcelain cups or whatever. I was wondering about with with tea and saying how super popular it is, and I was thinking, well, people drink a lot of coffee as well, and there's always your coffee is associated with caffeine. And so I was thinking, yeah, yeah so. What's got more caffeine then? Has tea got more caffeine than coffee or is it the other way around? Uh, a cup of tea has got less caffeine in than a cup of coffee. That's true. But tea but what? has oh, yeah. more yeah. caffeine in it than coffee. Yeah, yeah. In relation to like 
amount of like you don't use so much tea as you do in a cup of coffee right that's it so so weight for weight tea has more caffeine in it but you use more coffee to make a cup of coffee so you're using less tea which means less caffeine but really tea contains more caffeine than coffee yeah and um something else that i i looked into as in a sort of similar vein is the tea bag like, yeah, the, the symbol humble tea bag. Yeah, what's the point of a tea bag? Well, so basically, back in the day, they would use, uh, they'd just put leaves in, wouldn't they? Like like loose leaves. What in a teapot? Yeah, in a teapot, and it would have to be it, essentially the teapot would strain out the leaves, wouldn't it? Or and, yeah, uh, you'd, you'd put a strainer on the top of your cup, pour yeah. in the pour yeah. in the drink, and then the strainer would catch all of the the loose leaves. Yeah, and then you know. Uh, there was like a requirement like people would want a cup of tea and not a whole pot of tea but it sort of it was accidental there was a guy called thomas sullivan in around a 1908 and he was a tea merchant in new york and he used to send his tea out to people in tiny little fancy silk bags not too dissimilar to a tea bag mm. uh, and then basically people accidentally just just put the whole silk bag in their cup and just made a cup of tea like we do today, as if it were a tea bag. But yeah. that isn't what he meant it to be. Yeah, brilliant, isn't it? That's... And then they sort of, they realised they could just take the leaves straight out. Like, oh, I've got a cup of tea now. And then obviously it evolved slightly from there. But the whole thing was a, a, an accident. Nobody came around and went, look at my new tea bag invention. He, yeah. It was just total accident. There's, Early 1900s. There's um, a little bit of maybe deliberation so this thomas sullivan he was in 1908 he's he gets credited with creating the tea bag because of these silk pouches that he had but seven years earlier there were there were these two uh, women in milwaukee called roberta wilson and mary molaren they put in a patent for a tea leaf holder that you would then put your tea this loose tea yeah. in a holder put it in your cup and then take it out. Um, so they sort of put made a patent for it, but actually it was this Thomas Sullivan who accidentally made it popular. Yeah, uh, but it didn't catch on. This was like 1908. So in the early 1960s, Tetley, as in the tea company Tetley, started like really producing mass producing tea bags. But in the 1960s, only three percent of the market was using tea bags. Like the tea market was through tea bags. And by 2007, about 96% of all tea was sold in tea bags. Okay. But that's like a hundred years between it being invented or sort of becoming a thing and then becoming a real thing. So, you know, it took a long time to catch on. Yeah, definitely. Like it, it happening in 1908 and it becoming like legit in sort of, you know, by 2000, I guess, is everywhere. But yeah. Another thing that helped tea catch on originally, if we need to take it all the way back to around 1840, and this is where we've got the origination of afternoon tea. Yes, the actual first thing I looked at this week. I don't know why that came into my head first. The first thing I looked at was afternoon tea and high tea. I'm like, what on earth is that? <laughs> Literally the first thing I looked at. So this lady called Anna, who was the seventh Duchess of Bedford. Okay. Sounds, sounds very posh, very posh, doesn't it? The seventh, yeah. seventh uh, Duchess of Bedford. And apparently she would become hungry at around four o'clock in the afternoon. Yeah. And so she started this trend of having tea with some sandwiches 
to tide her over until dinner time. And part of the reason why she would get hungry, um, so they'd have lunch around noon, and then they'd have dinner or tea, if you call it that. They'd have dinner around 8 p.m. at night. So it's quite a gap um, for having it. So, yeah, she got hungry around four o'clock and thought, right, I'm going to start having these parties, inviting people. And then it spread from there. It's then spread where yeah. more and more people then started to have afternoon tea and it became a thing. Yeah. And then the the, the difference between the two, afternoon tea and high tea, is this afternoon tea typically was relaxed. It was like they were sitting in their, on their sofas in their living room or they were underneath, a, you know, the, the workers would be underneath the tree or, you know, they'd be sitting in the shade and having a cup of tea or whatever. And then the high tea was the same thing, but it was like they would sit at the dining table at 8 p.m. Yeah. And they called it a high tea because they'd be sitting on high, like high back, like proper chairs. And it was all right, now we're going to have our high tea, which is, you know, tea and a more substantial meal, sort of 8 p.m. And it became high tea. Yeah. And you, you said it there, actually. What do you call your meal that you have, like your main meal at like 5 or 6 p.m.? So I call it dinner. No, it's tea. I call it tea. <laughs> I think it's a working class. I think it depends on where, uh, like, how you were raised. Like, I call it tea. What do you call the thing you have at, like, 12 in the afternoon, like, midday? That's lunch. No, that's dinner. <laughs> what, are those ladies called, what are the ladies called at school that walked around the playground when you were, like, <laughs> nine years old? Well, I'm not going to tell you why I think they're actually cool, but I, I'm going to call them now lunch ladies. You didn't call them lunch ladies at school. <laughs> you called them dinner ladies. hundred percent. They were dinner ladies and they would walk around because that was dinner time. And then you have your tea at tea time. Hundy. Hundy. Somebody prove me wrong. Please send me a message. It is breakfast, dinner, tea. Breakfast, lunch and dinner. Yeah. Good no, point. You're wrong. You're wrong. <laughs> Talking um, about things that are named after, after people and to do with tea is... Um, I was wondering just where the name Earl Grey came from. So you've got a tea that's called Earl Grey. Which is a black tea. A black tea. And it, it turns out it's named after someone called Charles Grey. And he was the second Earl Grey. And he was born in 1764. And he received a gift that was like a diplomatic present. He received a gift from a different country of tea that was flavoured with bergamot oil. Okay. And he drank it, really liked it, and wanted to have some more of it. So he went to the British tea makers and said, can you recreate this? And, you know, I really liked it. And they said, yeah, okay, we'll make that, give it a go. They made it, made a tea that he really liked, and he endorsed it. And so they decided to sell it and then call it Earl Grey Tea. Nice. That's almost yeah. like a takeaway. It is close to a takeaway, that, like isn't that it? One, well, pretty much I feel like it's time to tell you my takeaway now. People Go on have been then. Waiting. What is your two guys one topic takeaway? You teased us at the beginning with it this week a little right. bit. What how is much it? tea get how much tea gets drunk in a year? Okay, so three billion cups of tea are drunk are drunk every day, right? In the world. Yeah? Times okay. that by 365. All right. Well, no, sorry. First thing I did was how big is a cup of tea? About 200 milliliters. That's about 600 million liters per day. Right, okay. 600 million litres. I see where we're going with this. We've got another Liam, as far as the sun or going around the moon type yeah. takeaway yeah, coming we up, aren't we? It's about 219 billion litres of tea are drunk in the world every year. I was like, what on earth is 219 billion litres? So here's what I went for. The Niagara Falls. Okay. Pretty big, right? Yeah. Approximately 2.8 million litres flow over the Niagara Falls every second. 
That's right. Right. If you could collect all of the liquid going over the Niagara Falls in an entire day, that is how much tea gets drunk in a year. <laughs> a whole day's of it. It's like 23 and a bit hours. It's ridiculously close to being a full day. A whole day's worth of water going over the Niagara Falls. If you turn all of that into cups of tea, that's how much tea gets drunk in a year. <laughs> that is an awful lot of tea. An a awful day's lot worth of, tea. of the Niagara Falls. <laughs> My two guys, one topic takeaway doesn't exert as much brain power as that. So this um, this is a, a lot simpler. There might be some people who've been listening earlier when we were saying about black tea, white tea, green tea, oolong tea, and we've mentioned other types. They're saying, why are you talking about mint tea? Or why aren't you yeah, talking yeah, yeah. about chamomile, chamomile tea? Yeah, chamomile tea, mint tea. Yeah, those other funny teas. Yeah, peppermint tea. Good point. So it turns out companies have got into the habit of saying that something is a tea because you put it in a cup and you add hot water. So they're then saying, oh, do you want a mint tea? Do you want a chamomile tea? Yeah, but okay. as we've said so many times already, tea specifically comes from the leaves of the Camellia sinensis plant. And so anything else, like a herb or a fruit, like a raspberry tea or a mint tea or whatever, that's actually an infusion. So it's oh, not it's- a tea. Wow. That's my one. So yeah, That's anything good. like That's mint tea, chamomile, all of that, they're actually, you should be really be calling them a mint infusion. So next time you ask for one, ask for a chamomile infusion, please. I reckon we have a lot of people discussing our podcast next time they drink one of these. Do you know what I've learned about this? All tea in general. I think it's been really interesting. I can't believe that all tea comes from the same, the same plant. Yeah. All tea. All yeah. tea comes from the Camellia sinensis. Every single tea you drink. And it's just a case of how long they've left the leaves out for once they've plucked them. That's it. That is pretty nuts, isn't it? Cool, uh, isn't it? I love love some of the history of it and how how and why people think it came about originally with that Chinese emperor, Shen Nung, um, but how he thought it fell into to his cup and it started from there. And just how, yeah, just some of the history about how we actually got it over from China and started to to then grow it ourselves. I might go and um, ask my wife if she wants a cup of tea and then leave it to brew for five minutes and see if I uh, get some brownie points for making a really good cup of tea. <laughs> yeah, let us know. Let us know, people listening to this. How do you have your cup of tea? What's your favourite type of tea? Um, if you've got any questions or anything else that you want us to cover, let us know and we can pick it up in the wrap up episode, as well as updating you about why is it called a rich tea biscuit? That's a really good point. <laughs> yeah. Really good yeah. point. And I thought of a second thing, the Boston Tea Party. What's that got to do with what? That's got something to do with tea. That's something to do with them throwing loads of tea over a boat. But I can't think exactly what it was. So I'm going to find out about that as well. Sounds good. Nice. Thank you very much for listening, everybody. Hope you've enjoyed it. Get in contact with us at Two Guys One Topic on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, or even Threads now. That's a new one. Fancy. Um, So yeah, get in contact with us. We'd love to hear from you. But we'll be back with you next Tuesday with a new episode. So until then, get out there and share some cup of tea knowledge. <laughs>